I'm sure most of you are familiar with the motto of the Marine Corps, Semper Fidelis. You often hear it abbreviated Semper Fi. Those words are Latin for always faithful, always faithful. And that's, that's not just an ideal to aspire to for our Marines. That is their heart. That is their commitment. That's what they give their lives to. I read about a story that took place during the Vietnam War. Second Lieutenant Carl Marlantis was in charge of 40 Marines in the midst of an intense battle, and they were waiting for an airstrike to, to clear a hill. And unfortunately, the airstrike came, and it hit the wrong hill. And suddenly, there they were with no cover, no air support, and Carl Marlantis and his Marines just sat there, huddled behind trees, gunfire blazing all around them, and they thought, what do we do now? But Semper Fi, always faithful. Always faithful does not mean you're faithful to the air support. Always faithful means you are always faithful to the mission. And so Carl Marlantis, who by the way was only 23 years old, he knew what he had to do next. And in his autobiography, he writes that, he said, if I didn't get up and lead, we'd get wiped out. I did a lot of things that day, but the one I'm most proud of is I simply stood up. In the middle of that flying metal, I stood up and I started up that hill, running up that hill with no air cover, no air support, no air strike that was supposed to come and, and clear things out for them. Running up that steep hill with his pack loaded, Carl Marlantis saw something out of his peripheral vision. He saw someone out of his peripheral vision. He looked and, and he wrote, it was a Marine. He was about 15 meters below me, zigzagging, falling, up and running again. And immediately behind him, a ragged line of Marines came, moving and weaving up the hill behind me. Behind the line were spots of crumpled bodies lying where they had been hit. They had all come with me. Everyone was intermingled, weaving, rushing, and covering, taking on each hole and bunker one at a time in groups. We, the group, just rushed forward all at once. We couldn't be stopped. Just individuals among us were stopped, but we couldn't be. I was we, no longer me. I was we, no longer me. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And over the month, as we've looked at faithfulness, we've seen what faithfulness to Jesus looks like. We've talked about faithfulness to His voice. As we listen to His voice, the Word of God and, and through prayer. We've talked about faithfulness to His church and faithfulness to His people. But we also must see that faithfulness to Jesus means being faithful to His mission, like Lieutenant Marlantis suddenly realizing you can't just sit there. You have to move. We, we have to do something. And when we move, we're not alone. We are moving with Jesus. I is we, no longer me. Faithfulness to Jesus means faithfulness to his mission. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, just before he ascended to the Father, Jesus left behind his final orders to his church, left behind his final orders to his disciples, and those continue to be 
our final orders. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. You, the believers, the, the, the church, will be my witnesses. You will carry my message to the end of the earth. And that one verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, sets the tone for the rest of the book of Acts. That's our mission. And if we're faithful to Jesus, we are faithful. Today, we're just kind of kind of walk through the book of Acts. Just kind of make our way through the book of Acts and look at that mission through the book. That mission that is still a part of who we are as Christians, of what we do as a church. That mission that still demands our faithfulness. And if we look at the example of the church in Acts, and if we are faithful to the mission... One thing we have to see is that the focus of our mission is our community. The focus of our mission is our community, and our community cannot be abandoned. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 2. In fact, the week before that we looked at Acts chapter 2 as well, verses 42 through 47. And verse 47 in that conclusion, it tells us of the, of the reaction of the community, the reaction of Jerusalem to the church at that time. Verse 47 tells us of Jerusalem that the church had favor with all the people. That is, the people in and around Jerusalem, they appreciated the Christians there. They appreciated having a church in Jerusalem. They saw the benefits that they brought. The Christians were gracious, they were kind, they were giving, they, they shared what they had with each other. They were loving to one another. It was good to have this group of people in Jerusalem. That was chapter 2. Three chapters later, in chapter 5, verse 13, we read, after some trouble in the church, that no one dared join them. Suddenly, public opinion has changed a little bit, and no one dared join them. Three chapters after that, by chapter 8, persecution has started. The church is being persecuted, and as the church is persecuted, the church is scattered they leave Jerusalem, they go into all of Judea, and they begin to make their way even further out. But what happens as they are scattered? In Acts chapter, chapter 8, verse 4, we read, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Public opinion about the church had changed. The church had fallen out of favor with society, but they never abandoned their communities. They never gave up on their communities. And in Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip, who took the message of Jesus to the Samaritans. Do you remember what he had said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and even into Samaria. Philip takes the message into Samaria. At every point where the community turned against them, the church focused on the mission, the church continued to spread the word, and the church grew. We live in a world where in some ways the church has fallen out of favor with the community. In some ways here in America, the church has fallen out of favor with the community. Last week I talked about how we now have to compete with the world for our schedules. We have to compete with the schedules that they make 
for us, for, for work, for our kids, for the sports that they play, for the activities that they have. And in many ways, the, the, the world has made it inconvenient to attend church, inconvenient to keep any kind of commitment. But there are some positive things also. The world may not want us here, but, but we have so much to offer. This last week, I, I read an article and the title was, Some Positive Benefits Churches Bring to Their Communities. Did you know churches bring economic benefits to their communities? Did you realize that Christians end up shopping? Did you know that? That we shop? I don't know how many of you guys shop, but I shop. And we, we go into our communities and we shop at places. I go to the DG Boutique here in town. That's what we call it, the Dollar General. Go down to the DG Boutique, I go down to the Junction. You know, we, we spend money here, go to Kirshner's and pick up a few things. You know, we, we spend money. We bring economic benefits to businesses. We also bring social benefits to our community. We, we help the poor. We, we help people improve their marriages. It has been proven that the presence of a church and a community decreases violence against women in that community. Churches help decrease crime and they promote mental and, and physical health. But the key to all of that is we can't abandon our communities. We have to be involved in our communities. We have to do what our neighbors are, our neighbors program is doing and go out and find out what our community needs. It, it concerns me when I see churches that develop this kind of hunker in the bunker mentality. Kind of like what Carl Marlantis was talking about, how they were just hiding behind fallen trees, wondering what they should do, and in the meantime, doing absolutely nothing. Uh, we have to be involved. And the problem is that that can happen in a small church. <clears throat> I've seen small churches that are so ingrown, they never reach out to their communities. And I've seen big churches that provide so much that their members never have to go out into the communities. We have a mission to go to our community and take the message of Jesus Christ. And part of being faithful to that mission is realizing that the force of our mission is our message. And our message cannot be compromised. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. I don't know if you've ever been to court or if you've ever watched a court show, but a witness testifies to what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have experienced, what they know. That's the job of a witness. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, and he tells what he has seen, what he has heard, what he has witnessed, what he knows about Jesus. He knows that Jesus was killed, that he was crucified, that he was buried, that he was resurrected. He proclaims that in Acts chapter 2. And in response, in verse 37, the, the crowd says, well, what do we do now? And in Acts 2, 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we walk on through the book of Acts, we get to Acts chapter 16, and Paul is thrown in jail in Philippi. And there in jail, he begins witnessing to what he knows of Jesus. And the Philippian jailer comes to Paul, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. It's nice that we're here for social benefits. It's nice that we're here to help people with their problems and with their marriages and financially. It's nice that we're here for the community, but those things are necessary. 
But no matter how necessary there are, our message is that Jesus Christ has the power to save you. That is our message. We live in a world where there's a lot of different messages. Some of those messages are loud. Some of those messages are, are slick. They are produced. They are overproduced. They have special effects. And sometimes I wonder if the message of Jesus Christ can compete. Can we be heard over the noise in our world? If you go on to Acts chapter 17, Paul was in Athens in Acts 17. Verses 16 and 17, we read this. Now, Paul was waiting for them at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. I want you to notice Paul went where the people were. Paul went where the people were. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He went where the people were. And then we read in verse 21, Acts chapter 17, verse 21. It says, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Can you imagine a world like that? Where all people talk about is whatever's happening right now. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine a world where all we do is talk about the news? Where you sit there with a device in your hand and see what's new? And you talk about what's happening right now? You, you turn on the TV and there's CNN or there's Fox or there's The View and, and there are all these shows where all they talk about is what's happening right now. And boy, if you try to talk about that next week, forget it because something new is happening next week. And, and, and don't talk about what happened last week because we got new stuff going on now. That's the world that Paul was speaking into there in Athens. And so in verses 22 through 28, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, that was kind of their version of the view, okay? That was, their, that was where they all went to talk. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I, as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this is what I proclaim to you. What you worship is unknown. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And some, as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. That's Paul's sermon in Athens. You know what's fascinating about that sermon? He doesn't quote the Bible once. Paul does not quote one scripture in that sermon, and yet he still preaches about Jesus. Instead, he, he quotes their own philosophers. He quotes the voices that they were listening to, and he uses their own words 
to tell them about Jesus. Paul does not compromise the message. The message is still believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But he finds a way to be heard by speaking into their lives and speaking into their experience. Now, I need to make two things really clear. First of all, I don't buy Nikes. Not for any moral reasons. I don't buy Nikes because I can't afford them, okay? I've owned one pair of Nikes in my entire life, and I guarantee you they were the cheapest pair of Nikes available. They were awful shoes. I don't own Nikes. And number two, I cannot pronounce that Colin guy's last name. So I'm not even going to bother trying. I can't pronounce his last name. But, but two, maybe three weeks ago, all I heard was about how disgusted people were. All I heard was about how angry people were. And I heard people saying, I'm never going to buy those shoes again. I heard people saying, I'm going to burn my shoes. I heard people say, I hate that man. I, I hate that company. The message was hatred. By the way, if you follow the stock market, did you know that Nike stock took a dive that day and the next day, and now it's more expensive than it ever was before? They knew what they were doing. They may have paid a lot for that advertising, but what, what we gave them was free. All the talk that we gave them was free advertising. I have no interest in buying Nikes. But I saw the ad. I read the ad. There was that Colin guy's picture, his face in black and white. And there were those words, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And here we are, what, two, three weeks later? <clears throat> Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. Two weeks, three weeks after everybody was so loud, after everybody was so divided, and I wonder, rather than express our disgust, rather than get angry, could we have used a phrase like that to talk about Jesus? Is there something we could say about Jesus with a phrase coming from this world Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. I read what Paul did in Athens with the words of their own poets. And I just imagine someone standing up and saying, people who wear Nikes, I perceive that you are very religious. <laughs> I perceive that you're very committed to something because I saw an advertisement as I was on my way here that said, believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. Now let me tell you about the God who sacrificed everything for you. Let me tell you about one who left heaven, was crucified, submitted to that miserable death so that you could have everything. Could we have shared the message of Christ I think that would have done a lot more good than burning shoes. I think that would have done a lot more good than voicing our hatred. You know, there is no hope in hatred. You know that, right? There is no hope in hatred. There's no promise in hatred. But what Acts shows us is the mission that we are on, the mission 
will succeed. Our promise cannot fail. Back in chapter 1, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. There's no question, this is going to happen. You're going to be my witnesses. You will take my message, you will take the good news about me, you will take the gospel into all the world, and the rest of the book of Acts is the story of how that happened. And we come to the very end, we come to the last chapter, we come to chapter 28. Paul is in Rome, and he's under house arrest. Paul can't leave his home, but people are coming to him. And the very last two verses in the book of Acts tell us, verses 30, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, he, that is Paul, he lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness, and without hindrance. In the Greek, the original Greek, those are two words. And they are the last two words of the book of Acts. With all boldness and without hindrance. Paul was in chains. Paul was in chains. But the message of Jesus Christ was free. Paul was locked up, but, but he couldn't be shut up. And what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, proved to be true. Not just because of what we read in chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, but because you and I are here today. It proved to be true because you and I are here today, because we continue to hold to the message, because we continue to go into our community with the mission and the message of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness to Jesus means faithfulness to his message, to his mission. And this is the promise that Jesus makes to the church. The promise he makes to us. The mission will succeed. We cannot fail. Our culture may turn against us, but our message is still going. There may be a slew of other voices out there scrambling and trying to get loud and trying to be heard, but we will be heard. And I think the challenge for us is to ask ourselves, every now and then to stop and ask ourselves, are we holding on to this mission? Are we committed to this mission? Are we faithful to this mission? Or do our commitments lie somewhere else? I think it's easy for us to move our commitment. I think it's easy to get committed to some other things. I think, it's, I think there's a big temptation. I think a big temptation for us is to get committed to just being comfortable. I think comfort ends up being a, a huge temptation. We like things the way they are. We, we like the people who are around us now, you know, mostly. Mostly we like each other. Why rock the boat? Why worry about other people? That's our mission. That's our witness. I think there's another big temptation. And the other big temptation is to just find another mission, probably something louder. Probably something louder is probably something flashier, but to, to go on a different mission. And maybe that other mission is good. Maybe it's important. But if it's not Jesus' mission, there's no promise. I'm sorry, but Jesus' promise is not that the politicians that we like are always going to get elected. That's, that's not the promise. Jesus' promise is not that the causes that we back socially, which may be important, that those causes are always going to be championed. That's, that's not his promise. 
It's not even his promise that our community or our world is always going to be on our side. His promise is the gospel will be proclaimed, that we will be his witnesses. That's our mission. And as Lieutenant Marlantis said, we couldn't be stopped. I was we, no longer me. We couldn't be stopped, and, and neither can we. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses with all boldness and without hindrance. That's the promise. And I know there are times when it looks like we have big hurdles as a church. There are times when it looks like we've got big hurdles against us. We live in a small community. We live in a community with a lot of problems. We, we live in a community with, with drugs and alcohol and unemployment and, and poverty, and there's, there's so much against us. And on the other end, we, we live in a big world, and, and the big world's got a lot of other messages and a lot of things that, that it would like people to, to get behind and, and worry about. And yet the promise is still there. You will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. And the mission goes on with all boldness, and without hindrance. And then I think about us as individuals. In our own homes, in our own families. And I know we've got big hurdles also. You and me as, as individuals, we, we struggle to see that promise in our lives. We, we are sometimes chained to our own doubts. We are imprisoned by our own failures and our own sins. But the promise still stands. In our faithfulness to Jesus, he is faithful to us, and boldly and without hindrance, He will stand with us. I need that kind of faithfulness. And I want to offer that kind of faithfulness to Him. I is we, <laughs> no longer me. I want us to offer, us, offer that to Him together. Let's stand together and pray. Father, You have left us with a, a huge task on this earth. Not just a huge task on this earth, but a huge task in our community. You've left us with the task of letting everyone we encounter know that Jesus is alive and that He has the power to save. And there are times when we feel overwhelmed and times when we feel intimidated, but through Your presence and Your faithfulness, we know that we will succeed boldly and without hindrance. And Father, each one of us has known failure. We've, we've all known pain. Each one of us have had a hard time when uh, have a hard times and when we felt alone. And again and again, we have reminded ourselves of your faithfulness to us. So Lord, in those moments when we are so intimidated by our world and our community, remind us of those words with all boldness and without hindrance. May we know your faithfulness and know your promise so that we might make you and your victory known to our world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.